it or not, tomorrow is fight night. Ladies and gentlemen, this is the main event of the evening. UFC 249 is going down on Saturday in Florida, a state where stay-at-home restrictions have been eased and sports like professional wrestling and MMA have been deemed essential. Today, we're joined by The Athletic's Shaheen Alshadi to talk about how this fight came to be, the UFC's plan to keep fighters safe, and what to expect in the cage from Justin Gaethje and the eccentric Tony Ferguson. I would say in a sport of very unique and very hyper-capable people, he is one of the most unique people I've ever met in my entire life. This is a rat race, but I'm no rat. I'm a turtle, ninja turtle. So which one's your favorite? I like Michelangelo. From Wondery and The Athletic, I'm Kavitha Davidson. And I'm Anders Kelto. It's Friday, May 8th, and this is The Lead. It felt like something great was happening. There was just something about the emotion and that moment. The failures of the past don't matter because we've got this guy now. I've never seen anything like that. That's not good news. This isn't a story where you interview the athlete and go home. It stays with you. Hey, Prime members, you can listen to The Lead ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the app today. When you're an American Express Platinum Card member, don't be surprised if you say things like, Chef, what course are we on? I've, I've lost count. Or, shoot that, shoot that! And even, Checkout's not until 4, so... Because the American Express Platinum Card offers access to exclusive reservations at renowned restaurants, elevated experiences at live events, and 4 p.m. late checkout at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. That's the powerful backing of American Express. See how to elevate your experiences at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Terms apply. Well, so Shaheen, this event was originally supposed to take place in Brooklyn in April. That obviously isn't happening. Dana White vowed to still hold the fight. He finally eventually landed on Florida. Why was it so important for the UFC to make this event happen? Dana White is a very particular person. He is a very unique character in the sports landscape, and he is not someone who does well with sitting on his hands. He needed to get out. He needed to go do something and put on shows because that's all he really does. And also, I think there's money issues to be to be talked about as well. Endeavor as a company had a failed IPO launch. A lot of their business is tied to the live event market. And the UFC seemingly is the easiest thing for them to get back up and running because it is a very unique sport in a pandemic type of world. They're, they're isn't, you know, 13 people or or 30 people on a court or a field. It's two people, a referee, and then you can kind of make do with everything else. You mentioned Endeavor, which is the UFC's parent company. Was there ever a situation where the UFC could have failed financially if they weren't allowed to put on live pay-per-view events? It's hard to say because a lot of that is so murky and we're still hearing little bits and pieces of that. It really all ties back to Endeavor because I think the UFC as an entity is doing fine, but Endeavor really does seem to be struggling just as a company. Well, so what were the biggest challenges facing UFC in the lead up to planning this fight? 
Well, they were numerous, and I think it's a lot of the challenges that now the NBA and the NHL and all of these leagues are now dealing with. They're starting to sort of address is the health and safety aspect. First of all, how can you make sure that this is something that we even really can hold in a safe manner? Are you there going to be COVID tests? What type of regulations? Is there social distancing regulations? How do you house fighters for the week in in the city? How do you take care of them? Who gets them food? Who who does their laundry? So there's so many aspects to this. It did feel like they had figured it out to some degree for the April 18th show. They were going to run out of a, an event venue in California that was on Native American land. Tachi Palace was the name of the hotel. And they essentially were going to just book this hotel for multiple weeks and just basically own this hotel and sort of use this as an impromptu headquarters. That is now what they have essentially done in Jacksonville. So walk us through what the UFC is doing this weekend. Where's the event being held and and what's their plan to protect fighters and everyone else involved? The shows are going to be at the Vistar Veterans Memorial Arena over there in Jacksonville. And they have essentially just blocked out an entire hotel for use by the UFC. This week is going to be very, very different compared to any other fight week that the UFC has ever held. When fighters arrive in Jacksonville, they're immediately going to go into a medical screening situation where they're going to be tested for coronavirus. There's going to be temperature checks. They're going to then be asked to self-isolate in the hotel until those test results come back. And at that point on, anyone who is working or around that week is basically going to have to get medically screened every day that they're at the hotel. And there's going to be individualized workout rooms for fighters at the hotel where this guy gets this room, you can work out in this room. All of those rooms are going to be equipped with with sanitizer and mat sanitizer and personalized sauna for the weight cutting. Um, Hotel staff are going to be equipped with PPE and have hospital grade sanitizer. There's a lot of moving parts to it, but it seems as though the UFC has figured it out to some degree. And it's going to be interesting to see how this week plays out. Well, and unlike bigger leagues like the NBA or the NFL or, or MLB, you know, the UFC is dealing with with individual athletes, um, not teams of players and, and larger organizations. How has that affected the UFC's efforts here? Uh, ESPN, I love this detail. ESPN reported that uh, Donald Cerrone is is driving there in an <laughs> RV and not getting out until weigh-in. So, so it sounds like some fighters are 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 doing things their own way. That has been sort of one of the strange subplots to this entire pandemic for for our sport, at least, because so many of the gyms where the fighters do train out of, those gyms have been closed. I've spoken to a lot of the fighters on this card over the past few weeks, and it's a lot of rocky type of training where you get these guys doing workouts in their brother's garage or just wherever they can find them doing stuff at home, sparring with their wife who trains or, or you know, using that type of thing. Like there are so many strange stories and subplots going on with how guys are able to get ready for this event. You know, a little over a month ago, the head of the Association of Ringside Physicians said that he would advise against holding this event at all. What what's changed since then? Some states like Florida are easing restrictions, but medical experts still say that this pandemic is is far from over. And that is the ultimate question, because you're right. Nothing much has changed. And I would say, actually, the situation's probably gotten a little worse. What's changed really is that Florida is into it. And that's kind of what it all comes down to. It's completely different now for some reason. A couple of weeks later, I don't know that there's a good reason other than Florida is just a lot more willy nilly and open to this sort of thing. And that then clears the roadway for everyone else to say, look, the government is sanctioning this. The government is into it. It has to be OK to some degree. What is the UFC's plan 
if someone does test positive for the coronavirus either before or after this event? That is a massive question, and that is a question (laughs) we have asked numerous times and we have not gotten an answer for. Over the course of the past six to eight weeks, the UFC has been very evasive with a lot of answers when it comes to protocols and health and safety regulations and things like that. They they are not telling the media much, and that's not really a, a divergence from their usual practices. They very much do not tell the media much. They only tell the media sort of what they want to tell the media that's not different, but it is a different type of circumstance, right? Like this isn't a normal situation and, and their secrecy when it comes to these things has been, if not typical, it has been at least alarming to some degree because we still don't know. I mean, there's, I don't know what would happen if a fighter or a cornerman or somebody comes away from this event having this virus. What happens then? Do we shut out, down all the rest of these events that are planned? No one really has told anybody and no one really knows. So that's a big question heading into this. How are fighters themselves feeling about their own safety and getting back to the octagon? I'll preface it by saying there's definitely a lot of fighters who I've spoken to who are very concerned about this and who don't feel comfortable competing until all of this is figured out, who have either young children at home or people who would be at risk around them and that sort of thing, and they just don't want to put themselves in that position. That being said, there is certainly a very large contingent of fighters who very much wants to compete and wants to compete as soon as possible. Professional cage fighters, MMA fighters, UFC fighters are very different from normal athletes in that they are they're classified as um, independent contractors and they do not have a players association, they do not have a union or anything like that. They don't make money unless they fight. And if they're just sitting around and they're not fighting, they're not making any income at all unless they have side hustles, which a lot of them do. But a lot of those side hustles are shut down right now, too, whether it's owning a gym or something like that. There are a lot of fighters out there who are struggling right now and really worried about where their next paycheck is going to come from. And ultimately, it seems as though that worry is probably going to overtake a lot of their concerns, whether, you know, they they feel comfortable competing. Because at some point, you do need to get a paycheck just as a human being to be able to support, you know, your livelihood and things like that. So in a way, does this feel exploitative? A lot of these fighters, like you said, they need to fight to earn a living, but we're living through a pandemic. And at least right now, it feels like some of these people have no choice but to fight because they have no other means of making money. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I I think in general, this is a very exploitative business. The power imbalance is is stark and it is very obvious once you once you spend any real amount of time talking to people behind the scenes about it. It's it's been long been a topic of discussion in this sport, but the the pay, the revenue balance of how much the revenue goes to the fighters and, and the athletes and how much goes to the promotion is so outrageously skewed towards the promotion. Some of these guys are making $10,000 to fight. Some of these guys who have been around for years are still making, you know, 50 to 70 grand for, for a fight. And then you got to take away taxes and coaches and management fees. Some of them will come away for, with, say, a 70 grand paycheck. They come away with 45 grand. And that's not that much. Maybe people will hear that and say, oh, you know, I'd like to make 45 grand in a night. But that's not really how it works. That's 45 grand to last them until they fight again. And it may not be six, eight months, 10 months until they fight again. And this is someone who's been at the top level of the sport for a very long time. So they are they're in a very unique and specialized position when it comes to the athletic world, especially major sports. And yeah, I definitely do feel as though there is some level of internal pressures within the sport compelling 
athletes to need to fight, not even to want to fight, but to need to fight at a time like that. So that, that is a very real concern. Life right now is a lot. It forces us to always be on. And even though we're all stuck indoors, it can still feel like everything is go, go, go. But every now and then, it's really important to stop and take a second to chill. And when I need to take that moment, my favorite way to do it is with a mountain cold Coors Light. Coors Light is the only beer that's literally made to chill. Coors Light is brewed with a three-step cold process. It's cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. And the mountains on the bottles and cans even turn blue when your beer is cold. That way you always know when it's time to chill. Coors Light was born in the Rocky Mountains of Colorado in 1978. It's light, refreshing, and only 102 calories. So when you need to hit the reset button, just open a Coors Light. You can have Coors Light delivered to you by going to get.coorslight.com to find local delivery options near you. And remember to enjoy Coors Light responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. This episode is brought to you in part by Audible, your go-to destination for thrilling audio entertainment. Whether you're looking for a hair-raising experience to enjoy while you're on the move or eager to dive into sinister and shocking tales, Audible has an exclusive collection of thrillers from best-selling authors that will keep you on the edge of your seat. Like The Guest List by Lucy Foley. Experience stories like never before, where every chilling detail is brought to life by captivating sound design. Plus, as an Audible member, choose one title a month to make yours forever. And now, new members can try Audible free for 30 days. Just visit audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. That's audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. Well, so let's talk about this fight. You know, the main event is tomorrow. It's an interim lightweight title fight between Tony Ferguson and Justin Gaethje. First of all, this isn't the fight that was supposed to happen, right? I mean, it was supposed to be Ferguson versus Khabib. Khabib Nurmagomedov is officially out of his scheduled fight with Tony Ferguson for April 18th at UFC 249. He made the announcement via his Instagram. Earlier in the week during an Instagram Live, Nurmagomedov revealed he was in Russia and due to travel restrictions, he was essentially stuck there due to the coronavirus outbreak that has taken the globe by storm. Now, while- Tony Ferguson versus Habib Nurmagomedov is, a, is the white whale of this sport right now. We have been trying to make this fight between these two gentlemen, these two lightweights, for... Going on six years at this point. Tony Ferguson and Habib Nurmagomedov are the two greatest lightweights of all time. They, they are not even the two greatest lightweights of their era. They have dominated a division that is the most talent-rich, talent-stacked division in the entire world for the better part of nine years. Reels in trouble. Reels in trouble. Gonna look and there's the that Darce. There's that Darce choke again sliding it through. Looking to finish right here. This is his technique. He loves this technique. He got it. Should have fought each other so many times at this point in in various circumstances, increasingly bizarre circumstances, keep (laughs) preventing this fight from happening. Early on, it was just injuries. Then it became weight cut related things. Then at one point, Tony Ferguson injured himself on the week of the fight by tripping over a a television cord while doing an interview. (laughs) 
that's that's a real thing. And now the next time it's a pandemic, a global pandemic that has canceled this fight. Well, so tell us about Justin Gaethje. What's his style in the octagon? Justin Gaethje, if if you are someone who has never watched an MMA fight in your life, Justin Gaethje is the single most exciting fighter in the history of the sport. 20 seconds left in round two. Can Johnson survive? No, he cannot. Justin Gaethje with his ultimate highlight. He grew up in Arizona. He came up in the fighting in, in, in sort of the Arizona regional scene. And I remember even some of his early fights here, just in the smaller promotions. He was a superstar before he was a superstar. He he is someone who is all aggression, all offense, walking forward at all times. He is just trying to break people. And he is probably involved with, you know, four or five of the most exciting fights in the history of the lightweight division. He is a tremendous, tremendous competitor, someone who just does not quit. And he has really, within the past year or two, tweaked his style to become Gaethje 2.0. He's playing defense a little more. He's playing. He's being a little more patient with his offense. But he is still that marauder, that destroyer out there. And he has been getting knockout after knockout after knockout. He is hitting the best stretch of his career. Is Justin Gaethje actually going to end up benefiting from this? Because this is a tight. This is a card he would not have been a part of had it not been for these restrictions. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, Justin Gaethje is someone who I know pretty well, and he has been asking for an opportunity like this and deserving of an opportunity like this for basically a year at this point. And then you always have Conor McGregor just sort of lying out there as a specter and waiting. He doesn't really deserve a lot of the shots that he gets, but he is Conor McGregor. He's the biggest star we've ever seen in this sport. And so at any time he can parachute in and steal, you know, a title shot from somebody just really whenever he wants. So the lightweight division has been a big mix-up for a long time, and Justin Gaethje has sort of been stuck. He's He's been stuck in, in stasis, kind of not being able to get the fights that he deserves and wants because of Connor, Khabib, Tony, that whole triumvirate that was going on at the top. He wouldn't be getting this shot in a normal circumstance, but now he is getting this shot, and the UFC and Dana White have promised that the winner of this fight will fight Habib. So Justin's path to the title very quickly has materialized right in front of him. Well, the real character that we'll all be watching tomorrow night is Tony Ferguson. How would you describe Tony Ferguson? I would say in a sport of very unique and very hyper-capable people, he is one of the most unique people I've ever met in my entire life. This is a rat race, but I'm no rat. I'm a f***ing turtle, ninja turtle. So which one's your favorite? I like Michelangelo. Someone who doesn't really have a team. In MMA, we have a lot of teams where a lot of big name fighters will sort of group together and train together and learn for under, you know, a couple coaches. And that's just sort of the setup and the system that we have in place. Tony Ferguson does his own thing. He doesn't have a coach, really. He has a couple coaches that he uses, but he sort of runs his own camp. He's doing very outlandish things. His training regimen is some of the most bizarre stuff that I have ever seen in my entire life. I some have questioned whether it works. The guy doesn't lose, so it's hard to say it doesn't work. But there are definitely videos out there that you will find 
of whether it's his from his Instagram or YouTube or whatever of him doing very strange things. At one point during peak boredom, I, I compiled a list of the 10 weirdest Tony Ferguson workouts on the internet. And some of them have to do with him wearing full jeans and like batting gloves and like just tackling plyometric boxes and swinging sledgehammers over his head in very bizarre fashion. Some of them are him just picking up tires like over his head in a way that looks like somebody's back would get broken if they did it. Oh, so strange. I'm not doing it justice. <laughs> so there's that element of it, the physical element of it, but then also the way that his mind works. He is, to hear him speak in this sport, there's no one who really speaks like him. I am the champ. I don't have a belt up here. I don't need to have a belt up here and be the champ. Khabib and I deserve to fight. We need to fight for the fifth time. We need to try this out again. He is the champ. I was the intern champ. I'm still the f- champ. I have to tell you, I have to give these guys respect. I, got, I don't want to call him McNuggets anymore. I don't want to call him Tiramisu because that shit got old. I did that shit on purpose to troll all y'all. Combat sports in general, always historically, it matters how good you talk, right? It matters how well you talk. That's why Conor McGregor is who he is. He talks so well and he builds a fight so well. Tony Ferguson doesn't have the cadence and the content of a normal interview. He kind of goes along his own train of thought. It's very stream of conscious. There's just all sorts of weird side streets that you take with this guy when you're talking to him. And then just in the cage, he is a supernatural force of violence. No such thing as breathing room when you're fighting Tony Ferguson. Oh! are landing very heavy. Ferguson's hitting him very hard. Pettis needs to get on his bike and start moving. He can't sit here like this. And we just got Incredible showered pressure. with blood he's here on the move. He's exhausted. And, you know, he's... Oh, oh that's it. Oh, my goodness. Hit it. It's all over. Tony Ferguson by knockout. Sensational. Boom. Oh, yeah. Right on the jaw. I mean, uh, let me tell you There's something. a famous graphic in the MMA space of all of his last opponents on this current win streak of his after the fight, and it looks like a bunch of defeated character sprites from the video game Street Fighter II back in the day. <laughs> it, it's just disgusting what he does to these people in the cage, how badly he bloodies them up, he cuts them up, he, he you know, scars them. It is, it seems like a nightmarish experience to fight him. You interviewed a ton of people about, to tell stories about Tony Ferguson. What, what, which of those stories was your favorite? The best story I think that we got from this was from the UFC play-by-play commentator, a man named John Anik, who is called a thousand fights. He's been in this game a long time. When he fought Anthony Showtime Pettis, and uh, I've never had a blood shower like that sitting off the gun side before. We get splattered with blood on my note cards, on my face, on the front of my neck a little bit, on my shirt, but never where, you know, the athletes are, are, the blood is like spewing over on top of us like a shower. I mean, I was getting legitimate dollops of human blood on the back of my shirt. Uh, and of course, it wasn't Tony Ferguson's blood. He showed us the picture of the suit shirt that he, he wore that night. And there was just a gigantic dollop of dark red blood just on this white shirt. It is just a really stark reminder of how real and intense this sport is and what a guy like Tony Ferguson can do, can do to you. Well, so finally, Shaheen, what's going to happen in the octagon tomorrow? Who walks away with this interim title? Oh my gosh, I I have no idea. I think if this would have been a couple weeks ago, this would have been April 18th. Everything that I've heard, I mean, Justin's even told me this himself, 
Justin would not have been ready for that first fight. He was taking that fight on a couple weeks' notice. He wasn't preparing for a fight before that. He was really just going to have to get thrown in there with, with uh, this hell spawn of a lightweight. Now he's had a couple couple more weeks to, to prepare. He's really been embedded deep in a training camp. Um, he's had the welterweight champion in the UFC, Kamaru Usman, helping him out as well. They're managed by the same man. So they, he's had a good team around him. And having spoken to both Justin and his head coach now, Trevor Whitman, within the past couple days, both of them feel very, very confident that Justin is now ready for this, that this is a very different fight than it would have been a couple weeks ago. So we're going to get the best Justin and we're going to get the best Tony. Anything can go against with these two guys. I have no way. I'm leaning towards Tony Ferguson. I'm probably going to pick Tony Ferguson on our show. Uh, but anything can happen and nothing would surprise me. This is just going to be all action and all excitement. All right. Well, it's going to be fun to watch. Thank you so much for joining us, Shaheen. Oh, absolutely. It's my pleasure. Thank you for having me. You can read Shaheen Al-Shadi's collection of stories about Tony Ferguson at theathletic.com. And you can also catch his podcast there as well. It's called The Man and the Myth. Here are some other stories we're following at The Lead. The NFL gave its fans another bit of excitement last night when they officially released the 2020 schedule in a completely necessary three-hour TV special on ESPN. The season opener will see Deshaun Watson and the Texans face off with the reigning Super Bowl champion Kansas City Chiefs. Meanwhile, Tom Brady will make his Bucks debut in the Superdome against the Saints. Up north, Aaron Rodgers and the Packers will open their campaign against the Vikings, giving us all a chance to watch Jordan Love hold a clipboard against a division rival. Finally, the Saints and the Vikings will play in a rare Friday night game on Christmas. After all, who doesn't want the gift of watching Kirk Cousins? In other completely not the same NFL news, reports surfaced on Wednesday night about a domestic dispute involving Raven safety Earl Thomas and his wife Nina that took place back in April. According to TMZ, Nina Thomas held the seven-time pro bowler at gunpoint after finding him in bed with a group of other people. Earl Thomas released a statement on his Instagram in response to the news becoming public. Instead of talking about us, just keep us in your prayers. And uh, stuff like this happens, bro. You know, I, we try to live the best lives we possibly can, but sometimes we don't go as planned. Nina Thomas and two of her friends were arrested and booked for burglary of a residence with intent to commit aggravated assault with a deadly weapon. Earl Thomas was not charged. In the golf world, Phil Mickelson and Tiger Woods announced that their head-to-head competition, cleverly titled The Match, will take place on May 24th in Florida. This is the second time the two have faced each other head-to-head, and like any sequel, they added some new characters to spice it up. Tom Brady and Peyton Manning will be paired with the two PGA legends. In the announcement video, Mickelson and Woods wasted no time bringing out the forced smack talk. This is the trophy for the match. I don't know, actually, Tiger, if you know what this looks like. You might have caught a glimpse, but that's that's actually what the trophy looks like uh, had you would have won. Brady will be paired with Mickelson, and Manning will join forces with Woods. That's it for the week. Thanks for listening, everyone. Our producers are Caitlin Plummer, Chris Siegel, and Chris Olin. Editing and production by senior producers Lee Hernandez and Matt Strout. Fact-checking and writing by Ian Hurley. Sound design and mixing by Wydong Lin, Aaron May, and Joe Richardson. Our theme song was composed by Lindsey Graham. The executive producer of The Lead is me, Anders Kelto. Our editorial director is Kavitha Davidson. Our show is executive produced by Lee Hernandez, Marshall Louie, and Hernan Lopez for Wondery. From Wondery and The Athletic, I'm Anders Kelto. And I'm Kavitha Davidson. See you next week. Mm. 
If you travel, you know when it comes to love. See you soon. Can't wait. The sky is no limit. You know with your Delta Amex card, being oceans apart means meeting in Aruba. And booking a war travel with your card means saving 15% on Delta flights. You know kissing under the bridge of sighs guarantees eternal love. Because you're the long-distance lovebirds. It's why you're a Delta SkyMiles Platinum American Express card member. If you travel, you know. Takeoff 15 discount not applicable to partner-operated flights or taxes and fees. Terms apply. Visit go.amex slash you know. Some people just know the best rate for you is a rate based on you with Allstate. Not one based on Carol. She's more focused on hitting a high note than the car in front of her. Why pay a rate based on anyone else? Get one based on you with DriveWise from Allstate. Not available in Alaska or California. Subject to terms and conditions. Rates are determined by several factors, which vary by state. In some states, participation in DriveWise allows Allstate to use your driving data for purposes of rating. While in some states, your rate could increase with high-risk driving. Generally, safer drivers will save with DriveWise. Allstate Fire and Casualty Insurance Company and affiliates Northbrook, Illinois.